0: hello this is pastor Corey Ehrman you're listening to my podcast I hope it blesses encourages and inspires you I pray that the Holy Spirit will touch you through this teaching thank you for tuning in and God bless tonight I want to look at the Trinity Trinity you hardly ever hear teachings about this and whatever but it's so important that as believers Christians we understand what the Trinity is the the Godhead what we refer to as the Godhead, the three persons of the Godhead. So the doctrine of Trinity, because every cult, every cult has been formed out of a deviation from true biblical doctrine of Trinity. Mormons, you know, you, you know they believe that uh, Jesus is the brother of Lucifer, all <laughs> kinds of stuff, okay, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses. Every cult that's come out of Christianity has spurred off, branched off from from true biblical Christian doctrine has always been about the Trinity of the Godhead, obviously deviating from the true doctrine of the Trinity okay um, so we're going to look at the doctrine of Trinity tonight. there's one God, but he Is in three persons okay one God in three distinct persons and that's what we refer to as the doctrine of Trinity so there is one God and that one is the number of unity because the three persons of the Godhead are in complete absolute unity and complete absolute agreement okay Uh, what happens is for us as you know as you know for us men and women we find it hard to relate to that in our heads because our heads have a hard time to kind of grasp that well, how could there be three but in one well if you just look at an egg it's one egg but it's got a shell it's got the egg white and it's got the egg yolk three different parts but it's one egg in the same way we are three in one spirit soul and body there's not three different quarries they're not three different bb's bb the body bb the soul bb the spirit it's one bb but the spirit soul and body are together they're connected they're in oneness okay and so um and and just like you know you have water well water can exist in three different states it can be ice it can be liquid water or it can be steam when it evaporates but it's still water but it can take three different shapes but it's still the same consistency it's still h2o okay so god himself is one but he is three different distinct persons in the unity of the godhead so three in one god three in one is where we get the word trinity okay and they are in perfect unity and perfect agreement. We, we find that hard to relate because we don't live in a world of perfect unity and perfect agreement. There's disagreement and imperfections all around us. There's strife and division all around us. That's the state of the world because there's chaos. There's division. There's confusion. There's sin. Men in their fallen state obviously are against one another. We have wars. We have murders. We have divorce. We have arguments and strife and offenses. and So we find... We find it hard to relate to the fact that the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit have never ever one time had any disagreement or division ever they're in complete and absolute and perfect unity and that is the nature of God that's why we find that men all have sinned and come short or falling short of the glory of God because mankind does not understand that kind of perfect unity and perfect peace so but we have to understand That God has perfect unity and agreement. For God, that's a natural thing. That's the natural state of being in existence for God. God lives in perfect peace. He's not the author of confusion. He's the author of peace. God is one hundred percent from eternity to past, to eternity to future. God lives in perfect peace. Isn't it amazing? There is no disagreement in the Godhead. God is one, but He manifests in three persons, and and for the lack of a better word, we refer to it as three persons. Or three persons mean three different, distinct personalities or persons, uh, for the lack of a better word. I guess for us to understand that, that's why we refer to it. Like I said, it's like an egg that has three parts. Yolk, white, and a shell, but an egg is not any of these, but all three together is what makes an egg. Amen. Without a shell, an egg cannot exist. Without the shell, there is no egg white or egg yolk. Cannot stay together. Okay? Amen. But you can have a shell, but if there's no egg white in it, the egg yolk cannot connect in any shape or form to the shell. Because... Right, So they, all three are, are required for them to be connected to each other, for it to exist as a whole. And the same way we have to exist as a whole, spirit, soul, and body, if you remove one, the, our entire state of existence changes. The moment the soul and the spirit are separated from the body, Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord you can no longer live on the earth the moment you are separated from your body what keeps us on this earth is our earthly bodies the moment our spirit and soul are separated what we the Bible refers to as the inner person right we can no longer live on this earth there's nothing that holds us to remain in this earth realm outside of our body so our entire state of existence would change but the Bible tells us that we will eventually receive eternal bodies. So even though we, our spirit and soul will be separated from this physical body, we will receive, as opposed to this mortal body, an immortal body, a spiritual body. So we will always have a body. Amen? Not this physical body, but we will always have a, have a body. Every one of you will always have a body. Amen? If we're still alive at the sound of the trumpet will be changed in the blink of an eye but those who are dead in Christ shall be raised first and those who are alive shall be raised up and caught up together right to meet the Lord in the air that's what we refer to as the rapture and that's gonna happen very soon it May happen in your lifetime most likely will probably happen in our lifetime I really believe it some people in this room will never know death like separation from the body like we know but the only death or separation from your physical body you will know will be being changed in the blink of an eye at the rapture. He's, he's already signed up for it. Josh says, I, I, will, I will not know death. He's probably right. Young enough that, you know, uh, that we're probably the last generation. Who knows how much time we have? Maybe 15, 20 years? The way things are going, we're probably very close. Amen. I'm not going to obviously predict the date, but the Lord did tell us we can see the signs of the end of the age. We can, you, you, don't know when the, you don't know exactly when the baby will be born, but when you start to have birth pains, you know the baby's coming. When you start to have birth pains, giving birth a lady, you, if the, when, the moment the lady starts to have birth pains, she can't say, she can't predict, okay, this baby is going to be born at 2 or 3 a.m. She won't be able to say that, but she'll be able to say, this baby's coming. The next hour or two, I'm giving birth, right? So we understand that. So Jesus talked about the birth pains, the signs of the end of the age. So we see the birth pains. We see the signs of the end of the age. We can't necessarily predict this is the time, this is the exact date, but we know it's close. Any moment now, we're making the final push. Amen. So um, just like an egg is not the shell, the white, or the yolk, but all of these three together. Like I said, water can be liquid, steam, or ice, yet it's always H2O, water in its essence. I want us to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So, yes, there is one Lord. Isaiah 43. Whoa, I got a little. Feedback. standing there I think it's the bounce from here Isaiah 43 10 and 11 actually the second, second half of getting a little right check yeah it's probably the bounce from this so I'll stand like here Isaiah 43 chapter 10 um, Isaiah chapter 43 verse 10 B and 11 so the second half of the verse in 10 Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. So there's only one God. There never will be another God. There never has been, and there never will be another God. There's only one God, creator of the universe, creator of heaven and earth. One Lord, one God. Isaiah 44, verse 6. Isaiah 44, verse 6, second half, 6b. I am the first, I am the last. Beside me, there is no God. I am the first, I am the last. Beside me, there is no God. That means there never has ever been another God other than the Lord, Jehovah, and there never would be another God other than The Lord God, creator of heaven and earth. Amen. So there's only one God. Okay. And then 8B. 8B, Isaiah 44, 8B. Is there a God beside me? What's the answer? No. No. There never has been and there never ever will be. Okay. Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45, verses 5 and 6. And there is no God beside me. 6. And there is none else. Isaiah 45, 23. 21 through 23. 21b through 23. And there is no God else beside me. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall swear. 21 through 23. There's only one God, no one else look on to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for i am god and there is none else i have sworn by my name the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return it's interesting says shall not return that means i'm not going to take it back i'm not taking back the word that i've spoken it's established forever right and unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear all right now That was in um, Old Testament. Now let's move to the New Testament. Matthew. Matthew. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. We are going to see the Godhead, the three persons of the Godhead. And God introduced himself as the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob under the Old Testament. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. So they knew him to be the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and God of Jacob under the Old Testament. Under the New Testament, we gain a new revelation. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay, so Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. And Jesus, when he was baptized went up straightway out of the water and lo, the heavens were opened unto him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Lighting upon him. That word is very important, lighting upon him. The Greek is like a, almost a flutter of light, like a flash of light is what it means. So it was like a dove. It wasn't a bird. A bird didn't come and land on him. It was the Spirit of God coming like a dove. So it was white, looked like it was just flying down like a dove, and was lighting on him, almost like a shimmering light was coming upon him. So I want you to picture that. So these things that you've seen, like a little dove actually goes flap, flap, and comes lands on the shoulder of Jesus, that's not what happened. It doesn't say a dove. It says like a dove. In prophetic language, as or like means something natural is used to describe something spiritual. Okay? So like a dove means... The way a white dove would kind of almost fly down, or on wings float down on wings, and and maybe land. But as this, the Holy Spirit was coming. Then there was this lighting, lighting upon him, almost like a flash of lightning, flash of light, or or a, a fluttering of light coming upon him. This is what it looked like. So powerful, huh? And lo, a voice from heaven saying, "This is my beloved son." In whom I am well pleased so I want us to see distinctly the three persons Jesus the son of God Holy Spirit and the father father who spoke out of heaven this is my beloved son so the father sent the Holy Spirit upon his son Jesus so we see the three distinct persons of the Godhead the father the son and the Holy Spirit father speaks Holy Spirit descends and the Son receives the Holy Spirit and the spoken confirmation by the Father that He is a beloved Son, the the beloved Son, okay? Amen? Look at Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened up and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So the same, um, same event being described by Mark, very similar to Matthew. Okay. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic gospels. That means they are pretty much similar, synoptic. Uh, the gospel of John is not a synoptic gospel, so it's, it's kind of quite different. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, they kind of follow that uh, 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 chronological events and they just kind of describe them uh, in that way. And then, of course, if you go down now, the next one, uh, I mean the next, oh my, this not yours, but on my, in my notes, is Luke chapter 3. No, uh, only Matthew and John were with Jesus. There were t- two of the disciples, 12 disciples. Luke was, never met Jesus personally, neither most likely Mark. Mark was a nephew to Barnabas. He was a young man. So he might have been maybe just a baby or a toddler or something with Jesus was actually on the earth, maybe not even born yet. Because Mark was most likely a, a, a late in his teens when we first see him in the, in the, in the book of Acts, traveling with uh, the apostle Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey when they went to Cyprus. And Mark, um, also known as John Mark, you know, he, he left them and returned. So he kind of left them in the middle of the mission trip. That's why later on Paul and Barnabas. Um, Barnabas had kind of a, a disagreement about whether to take Mark with him Paul didn't want to take Mark with him and then Barnabas wanted to take Mark with him so they ended up parting ways and Paul took Silas with him as his mission traveling partner and they traveled on the second and second third and uh, missionary journeys but later on the apostle Paul writes in his letter that Mark became useful to him Mark became very useful to him so the uh, Church tradition teaches us that Mark later on became a disciple of Peter and sat under Peter's, uh, you know, mentorship. And actually the gospel of Mark is really the gospel of Peter. That Mark basically received from Peter the dictation. So what we know to be the the gospel of Mark most likely came from Peter. And gospel of Mark is the shortest one. It's pretty much kind of like, like very much short and to the point that, you know, it kind of sounds like Peter in a sense. but And then John, like I said, was also a teenager, but he was one of the 12 disciples. Matthew was the tax collector who was one of the disciples. Luke was a Greek, and he was a physician. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, and he was a disciple of the Apostle Paul. So quite different. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known to be synoptic Gospels. They're very similar and synoptic and then john is very different john really just is like the last one week of jesus's life most of john starts with the first you know miracle and everything and then just skips a whole ahead and then really it's almost like the last week very much different and he has that long prayer of the lord the lord's prayer and the lord's teaching and things like that so um so Uh, luke chapter 3 verses 21 and 22. luke chapter 3 verses 21 and 22. now when all the people were baptized it came to pass that jesus also being baptized and praying the heaven was opened and the holy ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him and a voice came from heaven which said thou art my beloved son in thee i am well pleased okay So you can see all of these references speak of Jesus being baptized by John, which is water, right? But then we see Jesus being baptized with the Holy Spirit. So we see Jesus, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father all manifest in one place at one time, thus the Trinity. But distinct, three distinct persons, but operating in complete unity but all three doing their different part. But all three doing their different part, but the parts that they're doing together come in unity to accomplish one purpose, one plan. So we can see the agreement and the unity of the Godhead in operation in these things. So what came to be, what, or what was to be, to be known as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, under the old covenant became God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit under the new covenant. Okay? Remember, the old covenant was types and shadows. The new covenant is the fulfillment of the types and shadows. Therefore, Abraham, the father of many nations. Isaac, the beloved son of promise that brought joy, the joy of salvation. And then Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel because he wrestled God for the blessing and he took the blessing, and Jacob was the one who poured oil on the rock at the place called Bethel, which, was, which means the house of God. So he poured oil on the rock. Rock is Jesus, the rock of salvation, and oil is the Holy Spirit. So Jacob poured oil on that rock at the house of God in Bethel. So all these types of types and shadows uh, of the Old Testament, really point the way to the New Testament, and we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, but working together in the same plan and purpose, just like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were a, plan and, were a part of the, God's plan, you know, uh, lineage to bring forth his plans and purposes. He, he came through those. Abraham said, can it, can it please be Ishmael? No, it'll be Isaac, right? So, God had a plan and a purpose. And and that plan and purpose, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the same way. They always work in unity and in agreement to accomplish the purpose of the Godhead. There is one God in unity, but three distinct persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? And again, we find Paul... Ending his second letter to the Corinthians with these words, so go to Second Corinthians chapter thirteen, verse fourteen. Second Corinthians chapter thirteen, verse fourteen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. So the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son. The love of God, the Father, and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Also, when it comes to the name, the Lord Jesus Christ, many Bible scholars believe, actually, it's very interesting. This has been a point of contention throughout church history, you know. How do we baptize? Do we baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit? Or do we baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because if you actually look at the New Testament, I mean, if you actually look at the book of Acts, they baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let me show you something about the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, because the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the triune name of God. Lord, Father, Jehovah Father, God, Jesus the Son, and Christ, the anointing or the Holy Spirit. And remember, Jesus was named by the Father, right? The angel came and said to Mary, You shall be with child when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you shall call his name Jesus, right? Or Yeshua. Okay, so the Father named him. And the Holy Ghost created him in the, in the, in the womb of Mary, or created him as a, as, a, as a child, as a person. The Son, the Word, became flesh. So the Holy Spirit took, brought the Son, and put flesh around him with the creative ability, and the Father named him. And the Father basically conceived him in that sense, caused this conception. So it's the miraculous conception, right, of a virgin. Now that's very interesting. Why? Because babies don't get their blood from the mother, they get their blood from the father. And it was very important for the child Jesus to not have an earthly father because if he had an earthly father he would have inherited Adam's sinful nature. He would have inherited Adam's nature. But he did not receive his blood from Adam, he received his blood from his heavenly father. So his blood was holy and pure and sinless. And his nature came from the Father. Right? So the Lord Jesus Christ is the triune name of God Father, Son, and Holy Ghost together. And Jesus, for 30 years, was just Jesus of Nazareth. But how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who's that God? Father. How the Father anointed Jesus of Nazareth, his Son, with the Holy Ghost. And power, right? Acts chapter ten, verse thirty-eight. He went about doing good, healing all those oppressed of the, le- the of the devil. For God or the Father was with him. So the Father anointed the Son with the Holy Spirit. And the moment Jesus became anointed, he became Jesus, the Christ. At age thirty was when he became Jesus the Christ. When these chapters that we, the passages we which we read from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when. The Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. That's when Jesus became anointed by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, right? And when the Holy Spirit came upon him, he became Jesus the Christ. In other words, the Son and the Holy Spirit came together on earth to work together. The Father was still in heaven, but the Holy Spirit came together with the Son to work together. Do you understand that? And then Jesus said, now I must leave. Go back to my father. So he left to go back to his father, but he didn't take the anointing with him. He left the anointing on the earth for, us to, for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to come upon us. So now the Son and the Father are in heaven and the Holy Spirit's the one on earth. Guess what's going to happen? The Holy Spirit's going to take us to the Father and the Son, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit along with us will be united in heaven at the rapture. So the three stages of the Godhead working, first the Father worked, then the Son, now the Holy Spirit. Yes, Two, two hands went up at the same time. Let's go with ladies first. Is that okay? Do what again? Well, it, what, what I'm saying is, if you look in the if you look in the Book of Acts, they're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, baptized in the in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is really the name, the triune name of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Lord, Father, Jesus, Son, Christ, the Holy Spirit. Okay, yes, I, know I know. So that's that's a that's been a contention throughout church history, but it's not. It's not the method, but when you have revelation of the Godhead, it's, what, it mean, what it is, is it's, it's the revelation of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, okay? And actually, um, when Jesus said, go preach the gospel, you know, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, the Greek says, into, into the name of the Father, into the name of the Son into the name of the Holy Spirit not in the name into the name so being baptized think about what it means to be baptized into the name the moment this woman married me she was baptized into my name she took my name do you understand me that's what what it's like to be baptized into the being baptized into the name of the Father is becoming a child of the Father being baptized into the name of the Son you understand me so you see actually the three baptisms baptism of salvation baptism of in water which is into the name of the son and then baptism in the holy spirit which is into the name of the holy ghost so jesus was also actually talking about just like we're talking tonight about how three god is one but in three persons and the bible says there's one baptism but then that's in ephesians Right There's one baptism, but then Hebrews chapter 6 says doctrine of baptisms because there are actually three baptisms. There are three baptisms. The first baptism is called the new birth, washing of the new birth, being baptized into the body, into the family of God, into the name of the Father. When the Father becomes your father, you become a child of God. That's the new birth, washing of the new birth. Regeneration. Second baptism is water baptism, being baptized into the name of the Son. And the third baptism is the baptism in the Holy Spirit, being baptized into the Holy Ghost. So there are actually three baptisms in the New Testament, and three in one. If you're missing anyone, you're missing something. Right? Okay. So into the name. Um oh, sorry, now you have a question. I forget about yours, sorry. Yes, of course. It's the glory of glory of God. manifest presence. It's the Holy Spirit. And I'll continue on my series. If you missed the Sunday morning, go watch the Sunday morning service because I started a Sunday morning series on the Holy Spirit, knowing the Holy Spirit. So uh, we looked at the number seven. Number seven is the number that's always associated with the Holy Spirit in the Bible, the seven spirits of God, defined in Isaiah 11:2. And then there is the sevenfold description of the Parakletos that Jesus talked about when he talked about the Holy Spirit. Then there are seven symbols of the Holy Spirit. So again, under the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit in all these symbols. Fire, oil, water, um, you know, um, wine. So uh, different symbols of the Holy Spirit, uh, the seven different symbols of the Holy Spirit that we see in the Old Testament. So cloud is a what? Is an accumulation of moisture. So it's really water. River, cloud, water. It's the Holy Spirit. So the cloud was the Holy Spirit. The cloud by day and the fire by night was just how the Holy Spirit physically manifested Himself so they could physically see because they needed that physical manifestation, connection on the Old Testament because He couldn't live on the inside of them. So for them to know that the Holy Spirit was there with them, He had to appear to them like a cloud by day and a fire by night. But we don't need Him to appear to us cloud by day, fire by night, because that would mean He's outside somewhere. But no, He's now in us. So the cloud is in us, and the fire is in us, because now we're the temple. Because that same cloud filled the temple, filled the tabernacle. So now we are the temples. So the same cloud fills us, which is the Holy Spirit. And then the same fire comes upon us. So the cloud and the fire now is in us, and we we don't need to have the external manifestation to lead and guide us because they could not be born again because under the new covenant those that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God so under the new covenant we are to be led by the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us not by external manifestations or signs on the outside of us under the old covenant they relied on those they had to have those because they could not be born again filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit like you said came upon people and not everybody only three kinds of people: kings, priests, and prophets were the only three kinds of people that would be anointed under the Old Testament. But the Holy Spirit would come upon them, and usually it's referred to as the hand of the Lord came upon me. The prophets would say, "The hand of the Lord came upon me, and I prophesied, or I saw whatever." So, so the the coming upon was, um, you know, not an indwelling presence, but coming upon. Now we have the coming upon. And a step further, because if you read now in the book of Acts chapter 2, and it appeared unto them, divided tongues like a fire, came and sat upon each of them, but it didn't stop there. Then they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave, gave utterance. So it went in, and then you can see that the overflow was out of their mouth. So it didn't just come upon them, but it also came to indwell in them, the Holy Spirit. Okay? Okay. Um, so Jesus sent his disciples into all the world with this exhortation. Go ye, therefore, and teach. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Matthew 28, 19. Okay, we, we just kind of talked about that. So once again, we find the Trinity as Peter wrote. So this is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Peter says this elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. So we see the distinct work of the Godhead. The Father, foreknowledge of God the Father. We are elect. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, that means we have been elected to become His children. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. How does that happen? Through sanctification of the Spirit. And an obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, or the Son. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. So obedience and sprinkling of blood now the sprinkling of blood is significant because that's not a random word sprinkling of blood comes is a reference to the Old Testament sprinkling of blood because the priest high priest would sprinkle the blood of the lamb of atonement seven times okay so the sprinkling of blood seven times which is again seven the fullness so the sprinkling of blood by the Son, meaning the Son becomes the sacrifice of atonement, covering for sins, remission of sins, and His blood of sprinkling and obedience. That means submission unto Him as Lord, obedience, and the, blood, uh, and the sprinkle of blood. So that's what, what is that? Salvation. That's salvation through the Son. But after salvation through the Son, there's something else. Sanctification by the Spirit salvation and sanctification are two different things okay salvation is what happens instantly when you're born again you make Jesus the Lord of your life you're sprinkled by his blood you're washed and cleansed by his blood you are cleansed from all your sin and your sin nature you become the righteousness of God in Christ you become born again you become a child of God you are saved salvation but after that which that's instant but after that is a process, it's not instant sanctification, it's lifelong being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That means now the Holy Spirit comes and works in you on a daily basis to conform you to the image of Christ. Remember, being changed from glory unto glory by the Holy Spirit to be what to be conformed into the image of the Son. So the Holy Spirit. On a daily basis working in our lives. Where is he working? In your soul. Because your spirit is saved but your soul is most of the time messed up. I don't know about you but the day I got saved I was still pretty clueless about a lot of things. I didn't think right, I didn't feel right, I didn't speak right. Amen? Were you perfect the day you got saved? No. You actually knew very little. You were a baby. You had to grow up and mature and how does that happen the holy spirit he's the innkeeper the son takes you puts you in the hands of the innkeeper pays for two days to take care of him and i'll come back if you need more I'll, I'll pay for it so we have been put in the hands of the innkeeper amen and innkeeper is the holy spirit so he's keeping us and he is sanctifying us so sanctification by the spirit is very, very important. Sanctification obviously mean, means being made holy in your speech, in your thought life, in your behavior, in everything that you do, your tongue getting sanctified, your mind getting sanctified. Amen. And your speech getting sanctified, your behavior getting sanctified. So we see the, the, the work of the Godhead in our lives. Because the Father chose us, the Son came to save us and the Holy Spirit comes to sanctify us. The process of sanctification, which is a lifelong process of the renewing of the mind, the saving of the soul. Amen. Saving of the soul is different than saving of the spirit. Spirit gets saved instantly when you're born again, but your soul is a process of continually being saved. not be conformed to this world but be renewed or be changed by the renewing of your mind right so the way you think begins to change your mindset the way you see things the way you see the way you think and the way you speak and the way you understand perspectives and everything begins to change and you're sanctified so that you're changed so it's that process of change so if somebody gets saved but they don't want to change it's a problem it's a big problem And we see it with many, many Christians. They've been saved 20 years, 30 years, but they haven't even grown one inch spiritually because they haven't submitted to the sanctification process of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Yes. Yes. Well, predestination, uh, when it comes to predestination, there's this thing called Calvinism. And it was basically John Calvin that came up with this idea that only certain people were selected for salvation, others were not. I do not believe that. That doctrine has definitely been refuted. Um, It's a Calvinistic doctrine because the same Calvinistic doctrine also basically denies the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. It's a cessationist doctrine that the gifts of the Spirit has ceased. So all that kind of stuff. Uh, Predestination. But I believe that we were all predestined by God to be His children. Chosen in Christ. Because the Bible says God so loved the world that He gave His Son. So Jesus died for all. The Bible is very clear about that. And God is not willing also that anyone should perish. But that all All should come to repentance. But then also having given us a free will, He has chosen us by His free will. He's chosen everyone. He's no respecter of persons. He loves all and wants all to be saved, right? So by His free will, He's chosen to love everyone. But then He gives us the choice to respond. Do all choose Him? No. So that's The balance between the will of god and the will of man god will not override our will but in his will like he says god is not willing that anyone should perish that means he wills for all to be saved but he has given everyone a choice and will all choose him no because many are called but few are chosen why because few respond to the call so he calls all but not all will respond because he's given us a free will. So this doctrine of predestination, as John Calvin puts it, it's almost like man has no free will. It is completely the sovereignty of God. Everything is about the sovereignty of God. So there's an out-of-balance view of this whole thing. It's all God's sovereignty. God is sovereign and it's all up to him. Okay, that's one way to look at it. And then there's the other way to look at it. It's all man's choice. It's almost like God. No, there's a balance of God's sovereignty and man's man's choice, man's will. Okay, so we always have to bal- bring a balance to these things. If you take anything out of balance, you'll come up with you know things that don't line up with the Bible, like John Calvin did, and he died a miserable man, depressed, totally totally depressed, and yet to this day, um, you know, the one saved, always saved kind of thing. A lot of actually evangelical doctrine like the, the Baptist and Presbyterian and uh, Calvin, you know, a, a lot of it is just Calvinistic. Um, and what I found is the Calvinists are like the biggest enemies of revival. They they hate the, the move of the Holy Ghost. They don't even acknowledge the Holy Spirit. Because why? Because the Holy Spirit is that freedom. And the Holy Spirit is is, is when we can submit our will to the Holy Spirit and he can actually use us because he doesn't believe that God can... Calvin does not believe that God can really use people. It's almost like God is sovereign. We almost have no choice in the matter. It's almost like, really honestly, like uh, fate, huh? Puppets, Puppets fate. It's, what, it's really no different than Islamic doctrine. You know, in Islam, it's fate, not faith, but fate, F-A-T-E. You have no choice in the matter. Everything's already been decided for you. So whatever happens, you, you believe it was fate, Inshallah. It's it was the will of Allah. So you you, you interview people like you they will be talking to a a, a Athlete or a a football star. Well, Inshallah We'll win tomorrow. If you win the game, it was the will of God. If we lose the game, it was the will of God. No, you played bad (laughs) Everything is Inshallah. That means it was the will of Allah. You have no choice in the matter Okay, so um, What is that called? Fatalism? Right? Fatalism? Huh? It's very depressing. And that was one of the big things that you have to break off of Muslims, you know, when we get Muslims saved, you know, because they actually believe, we have even a saying, it's written on your forehead. It's like, it's just written. You can't change anything that happens to you. You get sick, it was my fate. Uh, You die, it was my fate. You get a job, it was my fate. You lose your job. It's your fate. It's like you have almost no choice in the matter. Whatever happens, happens. It's only the sovereignty of Allah, a God that's impersonal, lives up there somewhere. And then we have no choice in the matter. We're just kind of like puppets. So this, and this kind of doctrine has come into the, Christian. it's a religious deception that's come also into the church world to choke the life out of, out of the believers. Because Calvin was basically saying is that we have no choice in the matter. It's 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 prevalent. Calvinism has, is prevalent, and it's in much of the mainline denominational evangelical Christianity because of Protestantism, what we call the Protestantism from the Protestant Reformation, much of it was influenced by Calvinistic doctrine. And if you guys remember, if you took the church history class, we looked at Calvin. Remember that? What a, what a miserable man. And. Um, my, my, biggest, my biggest haters in Turkey are the Calvinists, the staunch Calvinists. They hate revival. They hate tongues. They hate healing. They hate anything to do with the Holy Ghost. Because they don't believe it, 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 it happens today. They don't believe it. They don't believe that God can empower people to do supernatural things. Because we're just, you're just basically a worm. They don't even understand the righteousness that we have in Christ. They just believe we're sinners we're just sinners saved by grace it's the will of allah it's the will of god you know it's no different and i think also in turkey calvinism has really taken a very strong foothold in the churches because it's very close to islamic mentality so it gets in very easily into them And what we preach like power righteousness authority is so completely anything different than The way they've been conditioned in Islam because Islam is all predestination it's all weakness of man you can't do anything you're you're a slave and you just you just serve like a robot you do what you're supposed to do out of obedience and just to hope that you can maybe earn your way into heaven and Calvinism is so similar that I think it it gets very easily into the church and people very easily receive it without having to really change because it doesn't lift them up out of their bondage and out of their weakness. It just keeps them in that same level. So you go to churches, these Calvinistic churches are all over. Much of the churches, I think we have about 120 now, evangelical churches in Turkey. I would have to say probably about a good 75, 80 of them are Calvinistic churches and they hate me. They hate me No, they they say that. They hate you. I have people come to me. They hate you in that church. I mean, how can a Christian hate another person? Let's just say that I'm not not even saved. You can't hate an unsaved person either. But they hate you because they hate the Holy Ghost. Because it's that religious spirit that gets in them that hates anything to do with freedom. It's so much bondage. So much bondage. Can you imagine? You're in total bondage. You have no choice. You have no... No choice in the matter, whatever happens, it's just like it just happens, you know whatever will be will be right, so yes the what again Oh. I was reading that article, and and there, of course, everybody, the whole world cheers her. The other guy saying that it's wrong to have premarital sex or whatever. And then, of course, now he's the villain. They're attacking him, right? He's such a big jerk, and they're celebrating the girl and everything, you know. And, of course, you have Christians celebrating Pride Month. You have churches that hang the flag, the pride flag. You have churches that are bringing drag queens to read gay stories to the children's church. I mean, that's the state of the church in America. Welcome. All-consuming fire. Yeah, because fire is what? Sanctification. Sanctification of the Holy Spirit. You cannot be sanctified without fire. And if you don't want fire, you just take love. What, what you have is you have a God that tolerates everything. So all this inclusion, tolerance, diversity is really nothing more than demonic doctrines to water everything down and cause everyone to accept unholy, impure worldliness and carnality. We're just going to be all inclusive. We're going to be, have all diversity. And I'm not talking, this is not about diversity of you know, races, the diversity of genders and diversity of sexual preferences. So diversity, inclusion, and tolerance. And it's now being bundled up to, into the love of God, and the love of God is being used to kind of be the cover for these things. Well, God loves everybody. God is love, right? Yeah. And as long as two men love each other, it's okay because God is love. We love each other. We're two men. See? But it's Eros love. It's not Agape love because Agape, the love, does not tolerate impurity. Agape love does not tolerate things that do not line up with the word of God. Agape love says hate that which is evil. God is love, but God also hates. There are eight, you know, there are things that God hates, right? The Bible even says God hates lying tongue, God hates pride, God hates arrogance. There are things that God hates. God hates liars, God hates blasphemers, right? So God hates sin so tolerance inclusive inclusion inclusivity and diversity is now have become this deception that's come on what they call the progressive church progressive you know the whole progressive thing with the the you know the socialist progressivism stuff well now they have they call they call, they call themselves progressive christianity what progressive christianity is the worldly doctrines of inclusivity, diversity, and tolerance being brought in and the love of God being twisted to, to tolerate wickedness and sin and unholiness and watering down God's Word. That's, this is what, what we're dealing with. Who was here Sunday night when I preached on Naaman? Naaman. Who watched? Did, did you watch? Okay. Or you heard my message on, on Naaman. Okay. So here's Naaman, a heathen, a Syrian right? An honorable man in the eyes of the world, a big shot, right? He comes to Elisha the prophet. Elisha does not even go out to meet him. What was Naaman thinking? What did Naaman want? He will come and do what? Make it easy on me. Just wave his hand over me. I don't really have to do anything. He just wave his hand over me. All is going to be well, right? Okay. What does Elisha do? Nothing. He don't even go out to meet the guy. He doesn't even go out to honor him, he doesn't go out, oh, you great Naaman, the great Syrian mighty warrior, welcome. He doesn't even go to greet him. He tells him to go dip seven times in the dirty, muddy Jordan River. Huh? Yeah. So he doesn't go out to even greet. What happens with Naaman? He gets all offended. He's leaving, right? Why? What's Naaman's problem? Pride. What's Naaman's problem? Arrogance. What's Naaman's Naaman's problem? He's a big shot. What's Naaman's problem? He wants to be honored. What's Naaman's problem? He wants to be recognized. What's Naaman's problem? He wants it to be easy. He doesn't want it to be hard. He wants it to be easy. Let me give you the picture of the modern-day seeker-friendly church in America. Modern-day seeker-friendly church. Here's their message. Run out to Naaman. Make it easy on Naaman. Honor Naaman. Naaman, you're a great man. No, 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 Naaman, please, please. We want to make it easy on you. Naaman, please, you don't have to change. Naaman, please, you don't have to submit to the word seven times. You don't have to go through the process. We 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 want to make it easy on you. Naaman, please, we'll run out to you and wave our hand over you. That's the secret friendly church in America. Make it easy on everybody. All are welcome. Just everybody's great you're great you're awesome you're this you're that it's secular humanism exalting humanity instead of exalting Christ and for listen for Christ to be exalted you're gonna have to be humbled why did he have to dip seven times he had to humble himself seven times he had to humble himself it took seven times of him humbling himself for all of his pride and arrogance to be broken and for his for his uh, name, great name, to get all dirty and muddy. So that's what we're dealing with. The modern, seeker-friendly American church, the Western church. Naaman, please, you don't have to change. Please, we'll not we, We'll make it easy on you. We'll run out to you, Naaman. We'll do everything. We'll just wave our hand over you and make it really easy on you. No, that doesn't change people people don't change that way you have to humble yourself you have to get under the word seven times you have to dip yourself you have to submit 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 and then seven number seven is the number of perfect submission submitting to the Holy Ghost sanctification of the Spirit does that help anybody So there you find the modern-day seeker friendly church Running out to Naaman telling him, oh great Naaman, you're wonderful. You're a great man. And we just want to make it easy on you. And we want to exalt you and tell you how great you are. And we'll wave our hand over you and make it easy. No, there's only one that's great. And that's Jesus Christ. And we must be humbled. We must decrease and he must increase. And we have to let the fire of God come and burn out the chaff, burn out the dross. Again, What I'm preaching here will not be shared in modern-day church growth seminars because it's all about making it easy on people to get more people in the church. But then we see them. They pack the churches out, but people are living anyhow. Their lives are a mess. They go in there. They're shacking up together, but there's no conviction because there's no fire. And that's a big problem. So I know what I'm sharing here will not, you know, Tickle ears and excite the flesh, but it's what's needed to get to stay on the narrow path to get into heaven. Because I'm more interested in getting you heaven than getting you through the doors of that church. It's better that you get into heaven than get through the double doors. Amen. Okay, I got approval from from the mother in law, so that's good. Am I telling the truth? want to make it easy on Naaman, tell how great Naaman is, you know. I, I, was, I was seeing a church. Their slogan was, it's all about you. Unbelievable. No, it's all about Jesus. It's not about you. And then I know, and here's the song they, they, they sing. I exalt me, I exalt me, I exalt me. Oh me! <laughs> exactly, So this is an issue that we're dealing with. How do we get on the doctrine of Trinity? Well, this is what you know this is what happens when you start talking about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you begin to see the work of God in the church in the life of the believer. These things become very, very important. So finally, let me close in this with this. And finally, Jesus is distinguished from the Father in Revelation 21, 22. Revelation chapter 21, verse 22. Speaking of the new Jerusalem when John says, And I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. So the Father and the Son are the temple of it. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Galatians 1.1, Paul, an apostle, not of man, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So, an apostle by Jesus and God the Father. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 22 and 23. 1 John chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. So could we pretty much say that Islam is an antichrist religion? Yeah. Because they deny the Father and they deny the Son. We are not of the same God guys listen I go and read some of this stuff I mean I don't really have much time for it and I don't have a stomach for it but I mean there's an article in a Christian magazine that somebody posted on Facebook and and it was like you know um, the God of the Bible Christians and the Islam is not the same God you should see the comments by so-called Christians you should just see the comment, it, it, it just baffle, it'll baffle the mind how clueless people are. And then, of course, you know, people are writing there, no, it's not the same God. And then people are coming, you're judgmental, you're this, you're that. I mean, people are clueless, you know. Our God is a God of tolerance. We need to tolerate the Muslims. We're not talking about Muslims people, we're talking about a religion. It's not the same God. The God of Islam and the God of the Bible, Christian God, is not the same. Because the Quran clearly, specifically denies that God cannot have a son. And it is a blaspheme to call God the Father and to claim that he has a son. Plain, simple, done, over, finished, finito, se fini. That's it. But that settles the issue right there. Okay, so cannot be from the same God, impossible. Otherwise, God would have to be like schizophrenic. Okay, who is a liar but he that denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son, the same has not the Father. But he that acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Because you cannot get to the Father except through the Son no one comes to the father except through the son the son always points the way to the father because to know the son means to have to know the father because without a father there is no son you understand me so the only reason we had jesus the son because there is a father okay so the son and the father and this was something that we had to deal with in turkey still dealing with it actually so we got these progressive Christian movements mission organizations they came and they said that the Bible was too offensive to the Muslims the way it was written so they wanted to water it down take the father and the son out of the Bible they wanted to make a new translation so that it would become more palatable to the Muslims the Muslims could read it without being offended and they did I mean they actually translated Matthew and then we had to fight these guys. I mean, we, had to, we worked hard to get him kicked out. But I mean, how much, you know, how much can you do? What can you they do? It online. It's online. They even put it online. So um, they took father and son out so that it would not be offensive to the Muslims. So, well, they can read that Bible, but they're never going to be saved. Or what kind of disciples will they become? Yeah. if they did, they probably wouldn't be doing it. The question is, like, don't they? No, they face double judgment. I mean, man, I mean, not only that, they face every curse that's and judgment that's written in the Bible. Because if you read the last verse, verses of, yeah, if you read the last verses of Revelation, it says anyone who adds to the Revelation of this book or takes away from it will suffer every judgment and curse that's spoken of in this book. So, I mean, no, obviously they don't. And obviously, they're under so much deception. They think that they're walking in love by doing that. That they're loving their Muslim. And they'll come there. You are Muslim brothers. No, you're not. Only someone who's saved is your brother. Someone who's not saved is is not your brother. Just because they might have black skin does not mean they're your brother. If you're a Christian born again saved, the other one is a sinner. They are not your brother. You understand me? Because our brotherhood is not from the skin or they're Puerto Rican or they're black or they're Turkish. My Turkish brother. No, he's not my Turkish brother. He's not even saved. He's a Turkish person, but he's not my brother. So we do that a lot of times because of the whole ethnic thing, right? People do that, you know, and then we have to teach people brotherhood is in Christ only. Those that are in Christ are your brothers and your sisters. The others are of their father, the devil. So let's get them saved so they can become brothers and sisters. But if they refuse to get saved, because he who does not have the son does not have the father, that means they're not our brothers or sisters. Oh man, I offended a lot of the Africans because my African brother, and I had to tell him, Look, man, this guy's a drug dealer, he ain't no brother. You're in the Bible, you're in Bible school, he ain't your brother. That guy's a drug dealer, man. That guy's wicked to the core. He's not your brother. Stay away from him. It's a challenge to get that, but it's about renewing the mind, getting the mind of God. <laughs> Jesus, help me. Yeah, and then in Turkey, it's a big thing, you know, like if you're from like the same village, same town or whatever, I mean, it's like, you know, and it's it's a big thing you know they're my they're my kinsmen from the town but they're wicked they're not saved don't go hang out with them go preach the gospel get them saved but if they're not going to say get saved you tell them look man if you're not coming to heaven with me i'm not going to hell with you hallelujah thank you for tuning into my podcast i hope that you have been blessed i would like for you to consider two things Number one, subscribe to our show to receive notifications of our new podcasts. Number two, support our ministry of reaching the nations with revival by clicking on the link in the description or visiting our website, riverwpv.com. Thank you for tuning in. Look forward to you joining our next podcast. God bless you.